Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Gerald Green to inbound. Harden trying to get free. Down to three, down to two. It's a three. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Believe in the Rockets, only on the Believe Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Cody Davis, and I am happy to announce that I am joined by a former member of the Houston Rockets, Major Jones. Mr. Jones spent five seasons playing for the Rockets from 1979 to 1984. He was originally drafted by the San Diego, I hope I'm getting this right, Conquistadores? Conquistadores. Conquistadores. Contistadors. I, I just let you say that team um, <laughs> for the ABA in 1974 before he was drafted by the Portland Trail Blazers in 1976. Mr. Jones, how you doing today? I'm doing great today. Just trying to uh, stay dry and stay inside and out of the way of the uh, the viruses and everything. Yes, sir. Everything going good with your family? Yeah, all family's all good. That's awesome to hear, man. Um, first and foremost, before we get into everything, I just want to personally take time out just to say thank you that you actually took time out of your day to actually come on the show and, you know, just just discuss some Houston Rockets um, basketball with me today. So I just want to make sure I just want to personally thank you ahead of time. Well, thank you. Thank you, you know, for, for having me on the, on the podcast. You know, anytime you can talk about, you know, the, the, uh, the state of basketball, especially during this downtime right now, it's always a pleasure. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But before you came to the Houston Rockets, you actually played in the ABA. Can you just talk about your time playing for that league and what was the difference between the ABA and the NBA at that time? Well, at that particular time, the uh, NBA was a more grinded out type of basketball you know you had you had scores in you know the 80s a few 70s and 90s and occasional 100 whereas the uh, the nba was i mean the aba was up and down get it get it and go you know it was a more exciting basketball and it it gave way to the uh, open court game you know, that's, that's where uh, Dr. J. Drew Zervin thrived in the open court. The, uh, you know, George Gervis came along and they they thrived in the open court. And, of course, the uh, red, white, and blue basketball didn't help at all. I think that if, if at that particular time the ABA would have had a stronger TV contract, I think that you probably, instead of the uh, four teams that the NBA 
open up and allow to come in that you probably would have had about six teams to come in. Because if you remember back then, the you know the Kentucky Colonels uh, didn't come in. I think that they had one of the strongest teams in basketball, along mm-hmm. with the spirit of St. Louis. And if you look at that spirit of St. Louis team, you had guys on that. You had the Moses Malone was a, was on that team. Uh, my brother Caldwell was on that team. At the uh, Fly Williams, you had some outstanding athletes on that team at that particular time. And, of course, Kentucky had Artis Gilmore along with Dan Issel. Uh, then I got Maurice Lucas and I got my other brother, Will, was on that team. So we had there were some pretty good teams back then who could get the ball up and down the floor. Cool. I know you mentioned the um, St. Louis Spirits, and I actually seen a documentary a couple of years ago about the ABA, and it was talking about when the when the two leagues decided to do the merger that the St. Louis Spirits was actually um, not a part of that merger. So were you, along with everybody else, kind of disappointed knowing that the St. Louis Spirit wasn't going to the NBA? Oh, no question about it. That's, uh, it and, you know, and the one name that was probably missing from that list was Marvin Bad News Barnes. You know, uh, at that particular time, he may have been the best uh, power forward in the game. Mm. You know, because he could, you know, can you imagine coming into having to go play and then playing against Mo Malone, Marvin, Marvin Barnes, who both <laughs> loved to get up and down the floor. Uh, they had one of the more outstanding teams, as well as the uh, Kentucky Colonel team. You know, there was a lot of good basketball players that played in the in, in the ABA even before the merger that some fans don't remember or never got a chance to see. And I think that and you can see the results of what happened once the merger was completed. The whole style of basketball in the NBA changed as well because the guys that they thought couldn't play, the Julius Irvins, George Gervin, all this Gilmore, Dan Entzel, the <laughs> look at those same guys. They're in the Hall of Fame these days, and they started mm-hmm. their careers out in the NBA. Do you have a favorite Dr. J moment? Because he is by far the greatest ABA player, in my opinion. Um, do you have a favorite Dr. J moment? Well, I can, I can remember Dr. was playing against the uh, Kentucky Colonels, and he went to the basket and he got into the lane. And he was going up, and when he got to the, into the lane, into the paint, there waiting him was 7'2", Artis Gilmore, 6'11", Caldwell Jones, 6'8", Will Jones. And he got to Doc, uh, Doc saying the only thing that he can remember seeing was arms. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, you know, and you get there with that kind of thing. They couldn't go straight up because Gilmore was in the middle. Mm-hmm. And the brother was on, was flanking him on both sides. And so he had to try and he had to try to figure out some way to get that ball up to the basket. And so he said, his only thing was to hope that he could hang in there longer than they could. <laughs> and so he said, eventually, 
he did. He was able to scoop it under, not over, but under their arms and off the glass and in. <laughs> did, um, did you ever get dunked on by Dr. J? No. Oh, as okay. Matter, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, if I look back, go back to the thing, I think the uh, we was in the NBA and I was actually, I was here in Houston. Mm-hmm. And we were playing the 76ers, and I had to guard Doc. And uh, his first four shots were blocked by me. Oh. So, <laughs> so that 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 was that was that was something that was something to be remembered. <laughs> I know that's something you always tell members of your family that you actually you know had an opportunity to block Dr. J's shot. He remembers that to this day as well, you know, because we still, you know, we see each other periodically mm-hmm. at different events and stuff. And, you know, he, he was, he's not only was well respected by my family, but uh, he also respected us and we kind of uh, keep kept the bond going throughout the years and still maintain the bond. Dr. J., to me, is one of the best players of all time. I personally have him in my top 10. You know, I just wish I was around to actually see Dr. J, not only in the NBA, but the ABA, because to me, he was the pioneer for the Michael Jordan and the Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, like that style of game that we saw. I I, I consider him to be the pioneer for that, to, to be the Skywalkers of the NBA. To that, you say what? Yeah, but see, Doc Doc learned from the uh, learned from the best. He learned from the Connie Hawkins, you know, growing up in New York and being on that uh, uh, playing in that Rucker League. Doc Doc learned from Connie Hawkins on that. You have to remember that Connie Connie had the same size hand as the uh, as Doctor had, and mm-hmm. Connie could swoop in. And do the same type of things that the uh, that Doc the as a matter of fact Doc took a lot of his his game from uh, the things that uh, that Connie was doing mm-hmm. stuff. So uh, you know there was a lot of similarities in both of their games, and I think that Hawk would tell you before he passed, he should say that. He got some of his stuff from not only the playgrounds, but from also watching the Elgin Baylors perform. If you remember, Elgin was a, a six-five power forward who could also swoop in with those big hands and stuff. And so, when you look at the lineage of the the small forwards or big forwards and how they played, you have to go through the uh, Elgin Baylor's, the uh, Connie Hawkins, and then it trickles down to the Julius Irvings and on down the line to it gets down to Michael and uh, even to Kobe to some degree as Kobe patterned his game after uh, Michael. So you mentioned, you know, you blocked Dr. J's shot, the first four shots when you was a member of the Houston Rockets. So you come to the Rockets in 1979, and at the time they have Rudy Tomjanovich, who was actually just selected to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Shout out to Rudy T. 
Kelvin Murphy. They actually, you guys still had Rick Barry and a guy who I consider to be another member of the top 10 players of all time, Moses Malone. So can you talk about playing alongside some of the greatest players who ever stepped foot on the basketball court, in particular playing alongside Moses Malone, who had just won his first of three MVPs at the time? Well, you know, nobody worked harder night in, night out than uh, the most. You knew what you was going to get every night the ball was thrown up. And not not only did you know it, but the opponents knew it. During that time, Mo would, uh, we would always, if we got into town early the night before, uh, we'd go out to dinner and Mo would see some of the opponents. He would always tell them, uh, guys that have to guard him, well, you better go and get you some rest tonight. You're going to have a long day tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and he and he epitomized the uh, the hard working guy. And then, and then when you had you know great shooters like uh, Calvin Murphy and Rudy, and at that time Rick Barry, you know Moses just you know they would come down. The shooters would know that they would have to concentrate inside and working on just trying to stop Mo. And if they double or triple team Mo, Mo would have had this sense to pass it out to the open guys. And then even if they missed the shot, Mo basically knew where the ball was going to come off at and he would go get it. So to, to play with him and to watch the, the way that he worked, there was definitely uh, an advantage and it was a blessing just to be able to be a part of that team. What about playing alongside Kevin Murphy? Um, this is a guy who basically was one of the most influential players of all time because he laid the foundation, of course, along with Nate Archibald, to set a path for little guys to make their mark on the game of basketball. Yeah, well, see, Murph was a, Murph was a, a tremendous shooter. You know, and Murphy, the, the good part about it, uh, we'd have certain plays that we'd run for Murph and required a pick. And my job was to make sure Murph got over. Well, I only had to hit the guy once. <laughs> and, I, you know, I hit him worth it. Then after Murph came off that pick the first time, then after that, then Murph would come off the pick, catch the ball, read the label, do anything he want, wave to people in the stands because he had just that much time to shoot it. <laughs> but once, you know, once opened, though, you know, he could drill it. And he didn't, he didn't need that much space. Because, you know, uh, he was just a competitor. You know, he wasn't going to let, he didn't let his size be a detriment to him. You know, he always considered it an advantage for him rather than a disadvantage. Mm. So during your five-year tenure with the team, what was your role? Uh, I was the uh, headhunter. I basically ended up having to guard the other team's best front court players, you know, and make sure that uh, if someone wanted to get rough, then, you know, I was I was I was fortunate enough to be able to go in and learn the the you know the easier way of getting people open and yeah being the, the being the bully on the block without being a bully. Mm. So basically, you, know, you you were like the PJ Tucker before PJ Tucker. Yo, heck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, it's it, what amazing now, this time now is that 
guys like a, a P.J. Tucker, who's just a hard-nosed guy, but that at his size, is he's it's amazing what he's able to accomplish at that particular size. So you, P.J. Tucker, on the block, who's going to win that battle? Me and P.J.? Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, you go straight to the block. P.J. lose. Hey, why is that? Well, the first thing you do is, as a as a big guy, you have to have the mentality. If you were at six eight, six nine, six ten, and then they they put a six four, six five guy on you to guard you, then that's basically telling you you're not good enough to play down there. Someone can beat you, and if you have the right mentality going down there, then you don't you don't try and step outside of your comfort zone. You go to that block and make sure you use everything that you've always learned on the block to take advantage of that. See, the one thing that PJ has is, you know, his lower body strength. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, you take that, his lower body strength, and if you're on the block, you just turn, take it, and you have to just make sure that you have the uh, the basics, you know, the jump hook, the regular hook, you know, the step back, everything. And you use all that. You go to the basket, not away from the basket. So a lot of our listeners might not know this, but when you first arrived to the Houston Rockets, you guys were still considered to be a part of the Eastern Conference, correct? Correct. It was in the Central okay. Division. So let's fast forward to the 1980-81 season. It's you guys' first year in the Western Conference. And you guys go, you know, you go through the regular season. And you guys entered the playoffs as major underdogs because you guys had a 40-42 a and 42 record. And you guys actually pulled off one of the best upsets in NBA history by defeating the then-defending champions, the Los Angeles Lakers, who at the time were led by Magic Johnson and, of course, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So... How were you guys able to pull off, you know, one of the biggest upsets in NBA history? Well, the first thing was we uh, we had see our playoffs started started like the uh, previous ten days before the playoffs started because mm-hmm. we had we had to win like four out of six just to get into the playoffs, you know, and and that was just to finish it. 40 and 42. As a matter of fact, we got in on the last day. And after that, during that particular playoff session where they were set up, it was you know, a three out of five situation. Mm-hmm. Or not three out of five, two out of three or whatever. Two out of three. And we ended up having to play the Lakers in the first round. You know, and everybody just, just assumed that uh, we didn't have a chance. Well, at that particular time, we probably had the best chance of anybody because we had the uh, we had the best player playing his best basketball during that time in Moses Malone. And our first option was to just come in, get the ball to him, have our shooter spot up, and do what they do. And then and what surprised everyone is when we went to L.A. and won the first game out there. And then it kind of got their attention. Mm. Well, then they came to Houston, then beat us here on our home court. And they kind of eased up. Well, 
we went out there and Ed, nobody gave us a chance but the 12 guys in that room. And we said, hey, we out here, might as well go ahead and win it. Hmm. And that's what we did. And it just, it just, it just went on from there. That's after that, uh, the player uh, on our last play was the fact that uh, we knew how Kareem was going to play. Moe wasn't going to play behind him, and we had the ball at half court. And uh, we inbounded the ball, and we just threw it directly inside to, to Moses. And once Moses gets to the inside, it's ball game. <laughs> Um, did you guard Kareem Abdul-Jabbar during the during the playoffs? Oh yeah, I got I guarded Kareem not only during that time, but then once we got Ralph Sampson and Melinda Caldwell, I I'd have to guard Kareem. So <laughs> it was it, it was a monumental task. The only good part about it, I was I caught him at the uh, sort of the sort of the tail end. wasn't the tail end of his career, but Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it just said he wasn't swinging that hook like he had normally was swinging. Like he was swinging it in Milwaukee. Yeah, like a Milwaukee. <laughs> and then when he was playing the, and later on when he just could just you know dominate the game where he, no, the unstoppable shot. Who guarded Magic Johnson? Because this would be Johnson's second season in the NBA, if I'm correct. Well, we we had that particular. We had Robert Reed. Tommy Henderson, uh, Allen Level. We had we had those guys to play guard, and what they did, they just tried to make sure that they stayed in front of them. And it, Magic wasn't an accomplished shooter at the time. You know, Magic was more so into passing the ball and getting the ball to the other guys. Mm. But uh, we stuck with our game plan and kept feeding Moses inside and. Fortunately, then we had Rudy and Calvin to hit open shots outside. So you guys go through, after you get past the Lakers, you guys beat the Spurs and also the Kings, who was called the Kansas City Kings at the time, if I'm correct? Correct. Interesting thing about that whole scenario is that we lost to the Lakers at home. Mm-hmm. One one or two games that we needed to win to get to the next round in L.A. Played the uh, Spurs. Lost every home game to the Spurs. <laughs> went to went to the San went to San Antonio and beat the Spurs every game in San Antonio to get to the uh, Western Conference Final. But once we beat the uh, the Spurs, Kansas City was no match. <laughs> in Kansas City, they were actually playing just like you guys, like sort of a underdog role at the time as well. Yes, they were. <laughs> they how, were. As how was that Western they, Conference Finals? <laughs> it was great for us. <laughs> <laughs> it was great for us because we went out to, you know, we we ended up winning it in six games in Kansas City. Mm. Yeah. We just sit back and was waiting on who, see who was coming out of the uh, Eastern Conference. Hmm. Which happened to be the Boston Celtics. The same team okay. a year prior had just eliminated you guys when you guys were doing your last year in the Eastern Conference. So what was the mindset heading into the finals? You basically already slayed Goliath by beating the Los Angeles Lakers. You get past San Antonio, the Kansas City 
Kings, and now you're in the finals. What was what was the team mindset heading into the finals? Well, we thought we could win it. We actually thought we could win it. We, like I said, you know, we had the uh, we had the MVP of the league, mm-hmm. and we and we had we had players who knew their roles. We knew our roles, you know. Once all we had to do was make sure that we would, if we could keep it close down the stretch or anything, that we knew uh, we had a horse that we could ride through the fourth quarter. And Moses, and if we had guys who if we could get them their shots, they could hit the shots. The uh, the thing that 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 the factor that 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 came into play. Was the uh, was the play of uh, Cedric Maxwell? But I think that uh, during that Boston series, we didn't. It wasn't that Larry got out of control, mm-hmm. but uh, I think that Maxwell elevated his game to levels. If you remember, he was the MVP of the series. Yes, he, he was. He elevated his game, and I think that, that that was probably the difference in the series. Mm-hmm. Well, how were you guys able to contain Larry Bird? Because, you know, before you got into it, talking about Cedric Maxwell, a lot of people, you know, like myself, you hear, okay, the Rockies get to the finals. It possibly would have been Larry Bird. That was too much for you guys. So how are you guys able to keep Larry Bird, you know, just – at least not good enough to where he's named the MVP of the finals, which, like you say, happened to be Cedric Maxwell. Well, we, you know, we had kept kept Robert Reed was guarding guarded him actually the entire series, and Robert's job was not to try and help, but to just you know make it difficult for him. You know, uh, it wasn't a case of where. We really contained Larry. We just didn't let him get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Because if you go back and look at the same thing, Larry still Larry had a good series. You know, he you know, and if had not been for Larry on that team, there ain't no ain't no doubt in our mind that we would have won the uh, championship. But the thing was that you know Larry Bird could beat you in other ways than scoring and stuff. You know, just his knowledge of the game and stuff. You just didn't want him to uh, go out there and, and and do things that that this astronomical numbers or whatever. So we just try to keep rotating guys in and off him with uh, not only Robert, but then Tommy Henderson and then Bill Willoughby. Those guys kept different players on him, gave him different looks. So you still in Houston today, correct? Correct. Do you keep up with today's Houston Rockets with James Harden and Russell Westbrook? Yeah. What's your, what's your <laughs> thoughts on this team? Uh, uh, it's entertaining. <laughs> you know, it's entertaining, but you know, it's, it's the the bad part is you know, you know how they're gonna play and you know what they're gonna play and you can see. You know, you know, I see, you know, Coach D'Antoni's system. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, it's a you know system that he had when he was uh, when he was in Phoenix and stuff. And I think that uh, his system, his system, um, um, his system works for for the players that he has and stuff. And he does a tremendous job of 
putting them in a position. But then when you have a talent like a, a Harden or Westbrook, to the fact that if you can get to the last five or six minutes of a ball game and you're not completely out of it, and if they're hitting their threes, then they're going to have a chance. Mm. You know, it's just uh, you just have to make sure with that particular system that you get at least, I think, you have to have at least 20, 25 threes a game made mm-hmm. in order for them to win because if the threes are falling, then they'll be a difficult team to beat. But, you, you know, when you get there, and then if you, they're not falling and then you're having to come back, it takes a lot out of you, a lot out of you. Just like I think right before the uh, before the, uh, the the league suspended the games when they was playing, was it in Charlotte? And it was mm-hmm. like 20 to nothing. Yeah, and then that terrible you got game. To, you know, you got to come back and try to dig out that hole. Mm-hmm. And then you got to go, you got to expend so much energy. Well, when you when you're doing those types of things, you have you having to depend a lot on hitting three pointers. Well, any any reasonable team within the sense to go, okay, every now and then we're gonna have to be able to go inside and score two pointers. Because what are the odds? You know, if you got a chance at a fifty fifty shot of making two points, and then their chances is thirty some percent on the three, uh, you got to hit quite a few threes to get back into the game. And it takes a toll not only on the team, especially when you look at the makeup of the Rockets. Uh, if you knew what you was going to get every night out of everybody, then it'd be a different story. But, you, you know, when you have to depend on that three and you will hope, you have to hope like heck that two or three guys are on their game. Well, you know, Westbrook going to be on his game because very seldom he's going to shoot three. His game is the mid-range jumper mm-hmm. and getting into the paint. Well, Harden, you know, he can he can get into the pain and do that. But his favorite is to step back three. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, the game is difficult to, to gauge. And the thing, the one thing I find fascinating is the fact that teams know that uh, if I sit there and while I'm walking the rocket, I know I don't leave uh, uh, T.J. Tucker open in the corner. <laughs> you know, because he's, he's the best corner three-point shooter in the league. Yes, sir. Then, you, you know, and then the other guys are open. You, you make sure you cover that. Let the other guys shoot, you know. And you can generally tell how guys are playing, how their game is going to go early. Because uh, just like with Eric Gordon, if his shot's falling early, then he'll, he'll be he, – you won't have a, a difficult night. He's going to put up shots. But the one thing you have to give Eric credit for is the fact that some nights when his shot's not going, he does have it where he can get into the lane and get a layup or something to that fact. So it's, 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 it's interesting. But the interesting part is the fact that when you have the, re- the really good teams come in, like when they, you know, the big anticipation game with the Clippers, and the Clippers just really was the only team that showed up that night is that. And at the Toyota Center, uh, that that was disheartening. And I think a lot of fans left there that night, 
thing like, wow, if this is what it's going to be like in the playoffs. And you have to be ready to play when you play those type of teams, especially with a Kawhi Leonard, a Paul George, and the guys that they had, Lou Williams, those guys that they have, who can actually put the ball in the basket. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with you on that. And, you know, that particular game that they when they lost against the Clippers, you know, I'm not really a big fan of their small ball experience because I've always said in order, the only way that this can work is if the Rockets go out shooting over 40% from behind the arc. And I just wasn't convinced in a seven-game series that if they had matchup against the Lakers or the Clippers that they would have been able to come out because both of those teams can hit you with so many with with so many weapons, um, especially when you take a look at the Lakers knowing how big those guys are. So let's say in a seven-game series, it's Western Conference Finals and the Rockets were to play against the Lakers. Small ball versus how the Lakers play with LeBron and AD, who would you think would come out as a winner of that series? Uh, Lakers. Mm. Is it only because of the size factor or what? Well, yeah, that the fact that you know the LeBron would impose his will on who on, on the guys that's trying to guard him. You know, it's his it's basketball IQ and and getting people into the right spot. And I think that he would it would wear it would wear them down mm-hmm. to that aspect. And then after that. And you got AD who could go inside or outside. And I think in a seven-game series, when you had you're looking at a seven-footer who can go to the block and just turn and score, as opposed to a, a regular season game in the playoff game, the basketball aspect of it changes. And he he I think that he would know that. I have to be inside, you know, take advantage of these guys, beat them up inside. And then not only him, but, you know, LeBron's strength down inside there. Yeah, I don't think they would, we would have anyone who could even come close to uh, to guarding him. You know, I think that uh, Covington would probably, eh, make it a little difficult, but then, you know, over the time in the course of the, of the, of the, of the series that the, their size would run out unless the Rockets would, would, you know, night in, night out, hitting over 40% of their threes. Hmm. Last question before I let you go. Um, I basically know the answer that you are about to say, but I'm, I'm, I'm still throw it out there just to have some fun. Um, let's say it's game seven, 1981 Rockets versus today's Rockets. Who will win and why? <laughs> today's Rockets and 81 Rockets? Mm-hmm. The Rockets that went to the finals with you, Moses Malone, Kevin Murphy. 81. <laughs> and why is 81. that? Moses Malone. Mm. No. No, no answer. Absolutely no answer for him. As a matter of fact, he he he'd get there and just you know he just go straight to the block. And if they never double team him, you probably see forty and thirty. 
So he'd either throw it in, you know, and miss a shot and get his rebound and put it back or whatever. I believe it. You know, they couldn't, I don't think that they, they would do it. Plus, they had some, we'd have some, we had, they, the one team had some guys who just wasn't going to let you go out there. Now, it would depend on who's refereeing those games. Are we playing by this end? Don't touch me. Don't touch mm-hmm. me today's game, or we playing by, okay, hey, you know, no blood, no foul. That right there yeah. is a tough one because I think a lot of people, you know, when we try to compare eras, that's, you know, we get caught up on. You know, you guys played in the era where, like you say, it's, you know, no blood, no foul versus today. I mean, if you breathe on somebody the wrong way, if you if, yeah. you, if you cough on somebody the wrong way, it's, it's a flagrant. So, you know, I think that's what, you know, it's hard to say, you know, which era. But, yeah. hey, I just thought it'd be fun. How, how will you guys defend um the backcourt of Russell Westbrook and James Harden? Would make uh, Harden use his left hand, or use his right hand, go mm-hmm. right, send him, send him to the right. You know, make him send him to the right, and if he's going to the right, he's gonna bring the ball back to his left hand to shoot, or he's gonna be able to go and step back. So you rather, I'd rather have him dribbling with his the ball in his right hand, and then him stepping back. And once he stepped back, he would step back the ball in his left hand and you play to that left side and in that aspect of it then you would have uh, uh, Robert Reed would be the guy that we'd have doing it and Robert has the quickness to to do that and not go for the swing through keep his hand back as with uh, Westbrook then you'd have Murph on eventually at least two or three times during the game Murph's going to trip it <laughs> and get and get away with it and say anybody can do anything like that to to Westbrook, it frustrates him. We do that, and then you bring in an Allen Level with who who's even quicker than him, and then uh, uh, Tommy Henderson and those guys. You look at the matchups and stuff. You know, I don't care who they had down there trying to guard Moses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Moses, like you said, Moses, you know, he would have averaged 40 and 30. You know, once again, man, I, I consider Moses Malone a top 10 player of all time. He goes into that category with Dr. J and the Magic Johnson. Like, man, if I could have seen this guy play, I was looking at his numbers um a couple of days ago, and I was just amazed. Like, the things that, like, the, the averages this man had, and, you know, looking back at old films, the, the things that he was doing on the court, it was just unbelievable, man. I wish I could have seen it. Yeah, yeah. I got, I was fortunate enough to see it firsthand. Mm-hmm. And I know how he did it and 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 saw him go through it. And uh, he never, as I said, he never tried to embarrass anybody, but he always played to win. Hmm. He wanted to, he was gonna come out on top regardless. You know, if you lost, it wasn't gonna be because of him. Thank you so much, Mr. Jones, once again for coming no on today's show, man. I really do appreciate it once again. Well thank you for having me. It was my pleasure.
Once again, that was Major Jones, former Houston Rocket, who played with the team from 1979 to 1984. Mr. Jones actually ended his career as a member of the Detroit Pistons, playing for them during the 1984-85 NBA season. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview as much as I did recording it. It was a lot of fun talking to Mr. Jones, especially going all the way back, talking to someone who actually played in the ABA playing against Dr. J. It was a lot of fun doing this interview. So um, once again, I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Once again, this is Believe in the Rockets only on the Believe Podcast Network. Please remember to subscribe to Believe in the Rockets on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, and Spotify. Also, be sure to follow the page on Twitter at Believe in the Rockets. And of course, once again, this is Cody Davis. Please remember to follow me on Twitter at Cody Davis underscore 24. That's Cody, C-O-T-Y-D-A-V-I-S underscore 24. There's a lot going on in our world right now due to the pandemic of the coronavirus. But ladies and gentlemen, please remember, we will get through this. Trust God with all your heart. and Everything's going to be okay. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, once again, this is Cody Davis. Peace. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.